Hi friends, I'm Dr. Cindy Leibert. And I'm Brooke Jack. We are your hosts of the Joy Prescription Podcast. In this show, we interview pioneering individuals who are integrating faith into their work and their spheres of influence in their respective fields of healthcare, coaching, psychology, and ministry. We dialogue at the intersection of lifestyle medicine, brain health, and Christianity. In each episode, our guests will share their hard-won wisdom and strategies for intentional living, spiritual growth, and health stewardship. Together, we explore God's joy prescription, how He redeems our life stories and brings us into wholeness, mind, body, and spirit. We are so glad you're here to be a part of this conversation. Let's dive into today's episode. Hi, everyone. It's a true delight today to welcome Dr. Jill Carnahan to the Joy Prescription Podcast. Dr. Jill is a board-certified family physician, and she's also certified in integrative holistic medicine. She's the founder and medical director of Flat Iron Functional Medicine in Louisville, Colorado. I had to look up how to say that. You want to say Louisville (laughs) in Louisville, Colorado. Dr. Jill's clinic is widely sought after with a broad range of clinical services, including functional medicine, consulting, chiropractic therapy, physical therapy, naturopathic medicine, acupuncture, and therapeutic massage. And Dr. Jill is not only a functional medicine expert, but she's also been a patient herself multiple times over the years. She's a survivor of breast cancer, Crohn's disease, and toxic mold illness. So she brings a very unique perspective as a physician. And I know you don't want me to read all your bio, Jill, but I I think it's worthwhile because it's very impressive. Uh, Dr. Jill has been featured in People Magazine, Shape, Parade, Forbes, Mind Body Green, First for Women, the Townsend Newsletter, and the Huffington Post. And she's been seen on NBC News and health segments with Joan London and her YouTube channel and podcast features experts from all over the world in functional medicine and science. She's co-authored the textbook with Dr. Mark Houston, Personalized and Precision Integrative Cardiovascular Medicine. And she's recently authored this book, a prescriptive memoir. It's titled Unexpected, Finding Resilience Through Functional Medicine, Science, and Faith. Four of my very favorite topics in the whole world. (laughs) Uh, So we certainly have a lot in common, Dr. Jill, and I've thoroughly enjoyed reading your memoir. It was particularly moving for me, given the fact that we went to medical school together at Loyola University of Chicago way back (laughs) in the late 90s. (laughs) And, um, you know, I watched you go through your breast cancer journey uh, just with such grace. And I followed your illustrious career over the years here. So just welcome. I'm so thrilled that you're here. Welcome. 
Cindy, it's a pleasure. And I know to everybody out there, you're Dr. Liebert, but because you and I go way back, it's like that <laughs> precious to be able to call you Cindy. And like, I just, um, I want to tell you, it is such an honor and a privilege to be here because of the fact that 20 plus years ago, we spent our lives through medical school. And mm-hmm. that was a lot of the start of my um, other education outside of medical school on healing. And again, just for you to have witnessed that a little bit, it's extra special. And the fact that we share a very common deep faith it is an absolute delight to be here with you. Well, feeling is mutual. So let's talk about your book. And I just finished it last night. I've been savoring it. It's so beautiful. And you you definitely had an amazing journey, both as a physician, well, as a physician, a woman, and a patient. And so your journey has been just really um lots of staggering health challenges and some personal challenges as well. Uh, If you would just get us started sharing a little bit about your personal journey with breast cancer in your early 20s and how that experience shaped your perspective on health and healing. Yeah, so I grew up on a farm in Illinois. I was one of five children. My mother was a retired nurse who had just retired to take care of her five children. And um, a beautiful family, like an idyllic kind of Norman Rockwell-esque background because we had like acres of land and we'd play on the four-wheelers and be outside. And I was the oldest girl. I had an older brother and then I had three younger siblings and two of them, it was kind of like the three older ones and then a little seven-year space and then the younger ones. So I ended up being a big big sister, babysitter, took care of my youngest siblings. So I had a lot of responsibility on the farm. And again, lots of beautiful things. But in hindsight, when I was diagnosed at 25 in the midst of my third year, and you remember third year medical, it was Mm -hmm. brutal, right? And we were right before workout regulations. So that was still like not a lot of stipulation on how many hours. I mean, I remember doing like 36 hour shifts and call and all that stuff. And what I didn't realize then was a couple of things. Number one, um, I was this highly sensitive person, which I think in hindsight makes a great position because I'm super empathetic. I'm very in tune with the patients and I can sometimes feel their emotions and those things. But in medical school, it makes for a very rough go because when you're sensitive, it's a brutal environment. And I almost want to cry for that girl back then, myself in my twenties, going through that, that education, it was wonderful. And we were like, we had a great class. We had amazing people and even our professors, and it was a good, good learning environment in some ways, but in some ways the the system of medical training is still very brutal and there's not a lot of kindness and compassion. And I remember how like, you know, like to hold your bladder and to not eat and to not sleep was like, those things were lauded. If you could put aside your actual physical needs and show up and like, that was how we were trained. And again, it makes for great doctors or surgeons or, you know, those kinds of things, but it doesn't make for a very compassionate person because if we are denying our own need to urinate or to eat food or to sleep like that's then, then we go into life being kind of dissociated from our bodies. And then it's much harder to help our patients heal because part of healing is actually right. Getting back in touch with ourselves and what are our needs and how do we show up in that taking care of those. But all that to say 25 out of the blue, I got a lump in my breast right after my surgical rotation. I would have told you it was nothing. Like I did not think anything of it, but I was married at the time. My husband said, Jill, you need to take this seriously. So of course I got a biopsy and I got a call from the surgeon just a week or so after. Um, 
And she said, it was Dr. Smith, I remember. Mm-hmm. And she said, yeah. yes, she said uh, Jill, I don't know how to tell you. I mean, I'll never forget that moment. Yes. And any of you out there who've had like life-changing death of a family member, you remember where you were sitting, the color of the walls, maybe the song that was playing. Like you'll never, that memory is imprinted forever in your mind. And this moment, I'll never forget where I was sitting, how I felt, because I remember the blood just like pooling from my brain down to my limbs and being like, this is unbelievable. This can't be real. Like how in the world I'm 25. And um, I don't know if you knew this, Cindy, but at Loyola at that time, now since then, there's been so many young people diagnosed with breast cancer, but at that moment, I was the youngest one ever diagnosed at Loyola. So it was a huge, big deal for the, even for the staff and the doctors and everybody that everyone was like, Oh my goodness, this is crazy. Right now, sadly, again, we've seen a lot of twenties and even some teens with breast cancer. And as you know, and most of your listeners might know this in a 20 something is a whole different disease than in a 55, 65 year old woman. So I was dealing with an incredibly aggressive cancer that was rapidly dividing felt like everything about the tumor that you could um, say was aggressive. It was there. And so I was faced with all of a sudden, I went into medicine knowing that there was natural ways of healing. And I didn't even know about functional medicine there, but I grew up on a farm with organic food and like knowing that that food was important to our life. And I had some principles there, but all of a sudden, boom, I come face to face with cancer and like, what am I going to do? And I'm 25. So I made a choice and I've never regretted that choice. And I always uh, recommend to patients or practitioners, when you have these difficult choices, take all the data, take your time, make a decision, but don't ever say, what if I would have done it differently? Cause That's that regret right. will chew you up. Right. Totally so, good advice. <laughs> yeah. And it's so important. And I remember at that time having the insight to be like, okay, this is a hard decision, but whatever I decide, I'm never going to say whether I live or die, whether I have sequelae from treatments. And what happened was I ended up doing almost everything they recommended in the most aggressive way. So I had three drug chemotherapy for six cycles, um, including um, like uh, basically cardio, almost to the limit of cardiotoxic doses of doxyrubicin um, Mm -hmm. and immune toxic doses of cytoxin and all the whole works. And then after that radiation and multiple surgeries to get margins. So I had everything they threw at me. And I came out of that about nine months later. You probably remember I took a leave of absence from school during that. And it's so funny, Cindy, when I first like got diagnosed, I was like, oh, no one will know. I'll just keep working and I'll just like get the chemo on the side and well, ha ha, Jill. Because oh, <laughs> I was so sick and I got, I was bald and I like, it was, there was no way I was going to keep working. But in my mind, it's like, oh, I'm fine. No one will ever know this. <laughs> Um, but that did not happen. I was incredibly ill. And now in hindsight, we know like one of the drugs, cytoxin actually creates a more permeable gut. One of its mechanisms right. of getting at the immune system to create a more aggressive immune system to fight the cancer is through an increased permeability. I didn't know any of this, but in hindsight, I get out nine months later, my cancer is in remission, supposedly gone, at least for the time being. And um, I was sick. My gut was destroyed. I was exhausted. I had brain fog. I had no hair. But all I had known was growing up on the farm, being tough, showing up, don't complain, like the kind of mentality that farm kids have, right? And so I didn't have this idea that that I could take care of myself or to, that I could even take a little extra time to heal. Like I went right back in rotations. Yeah. I didn't tell anyone how sick I was. And I'll, again, I don't think you even know or any of my friends. No, you, you seem to just sail through it. <laughs> And it, but it was so sick. And I remember, I, I think my first or second rotation back was in the emergency room. So we do this like 12 hour shifts and I was running fevers up to 102, almost every shift. Whoa. I was so sick. And again, I just kind of was like, oh, this is just part of the healing. 
And I was afraid to tell my attending because I thought, oh my gosh, I've just taken nine months off. I can't. And this is where the, the change from the mentality of I have to be strong. I can't be weak. That was a pattern that I was given as a child in a farm family. My parents didn't know any better either because to survive on the farm, you have to be tough. And so they passed that down to me, this highly sensitive person. And, and I didn't know how to number one, ask for help. Number two, how to be kind to myself and say, maybe a little rest would be good for you. And, and in my mind, the um, idea of being weak or not being strong or capable was like the worst sin you could commit. So because of all that, I felt like I had to show up and I couldn't complain and I couldn't say I need a little time or I'm having a fever. And I worked right through that. Like I just worked right through until within six months of me finishing that chemo, I think I passed out one night. I was uh, admitted that night by the resident on call and I had an abscess. And then of course, went to surgery, drained the abscess. I get out of that surgery in the morning and the surgeon's like, um, Jill, you have Crohn's disease. <laughs> goodness gracious, oh, Jill. Oh, wow. Goodness, thank you for sharing that. I just, uh, it pains me that I didn't know you were going through all of this at the time. But as you said, you know, medical school, that environment, we're trained to put on a, you know, a strong, uh, I'm okay, I've got this kind of um, attitude. And and like you, I'm an HSP, a highly sensitive person. I didn't realize it until <laughs> one of my best friends is a psychotherapist. I met her in 2010, and that was a, a revelation to me, just um, what a gift it is to be highly sensitive, but also just uh, some unique challenges. And then you uh, enter in the, the really harsh uh, training environment of medical school, plus being a woman and feeling like you have, you know, something to prove <laughs> as well. So goodness, I'm so sorry that you went through all of that. And I didn't realize that. Uh, that's just, um, I actually, after I read your book, I want to read you this quote that I, it popped into my head that I think just encapsulates you and your your experiences from Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. And she said that the most beautiful people we have known are those who have known defeat, known suffering, known struggle, known loss, and have found their way out of the depths. These persons have an appreciation, a sensitivity, and an understanding of life that fills them with compassion, gentleness, and a deep loving concern beautiful people do not just happen. <laughs> and so I think that just uh, perfectly describes you. And thank you for sharing your journey. And you did an amazing job of sharing a whole lot in a short period of time, but it doesn't even scratch the surface of what you <laughs> share in your book. Um, I was so intrigued to learn about your background growing up on a farm in the Midwest. I, I too grew up in the Midwest <laughs> in a rural area. And it is very clear to me that you were destined to become a doctor after struggling so much with your health, even as a child with the you know, severe allergies and the environmental toxin exposure, the pesticide exposure that you had on the farm. And as you share in the book, even in utero. So I'm just curious if you want to share a little bit more about your early years and what inspired you to become a functional medicine doctor. Sure. And thank you for that beautiful quote. I'm deeply touched. Um, <laughs> you almost brought me to tears, but I also do believe like if we can take that view of suffering, because we all, I always say we're either just going through something, we just finished it, 
or we're in the midst of something, or we're going to right around the bend, right. or something. <laughs> so we're not immune, none of us. I'm not unique to immune to suffering, but it really is the lens at which we look at that because God always has purpose. This is going to choke me up because he always has the most beautiful. The times when I have felt the most close to God were in the deepest suffering. And there are times in my life when it's going well that I look back at the most, most awful, difficult, painful times. And I long for that closeness to God because that's where he shows up the most. Mm -hmm. And so there's so much beauty in that. And um, I just want to share because all of your listeners are human, right? And so that means we're this race <laughs> called, well, maybe there's new dogs or cats or whatever. <laughs> but the truth is like, it's so common. And so often we isolate ourselves by thinking we're the only ones going through this divorce or this illness or this difficulty with our careers or this stress of a boss or a, a employee or whatever it is. And I could name a thousand other things, financial difficulties. But if you're out there, you know, that's reality, right? And the thing is, we somehow think that like when we're in that, that we're alone. Um, and the truth is, number one, we have a God that is so good and with us and so close to us in the difficult times. But number two, it is so common. And when we start to realize that those places are the most precious places of connection to the divine, I long, in fact, now I'm finally at the place where I hope I don't have to suffer more. I don't like oh. it. <laughs> like it's not fun, but I'm also so convinced this is to my, me, the definition of resilience. It's I know no matter what comes, that not one thing that I could think of, including death, I'm not afraid of those things anymore because mm -hmm. I know I have a God that is so close in those times and even closer and even more good. And like the times when I see the faithfulness of um, God's presence in my life are always in the, in the hard times. And even more than that is the times when I experience personally the deepest transformation, understanding and um even joy, right? Like sometimes the deepest joy is there because you're like, and, and if, when we start to frame that, then suffering comes. And instead of being like, why me, what's going on? Like, Oh, thank you, God. What in this suffering in this experience is what you want me to learn and grow. And how can I find the beauty in, in this? Because there always is a beautiful silver lining in those things. And it doesn't mean it's not, it doesn't mean it's fun, but it's beautiful. So thanks for letting me share that. Back to the farm. So I grew up on this farm and, and part of the journey there was, um, there was, I mean, my family just did typical farming corn and soybeans in central Illinois. And thank goodness because of my cancer. And I don't think I mentioned in the book, but my sister at 28, so I was 25 breast cancer, which is endocrine tissue, right? Mm -hmm. um, at 28, my sister who was seven years younger than me got thyroid cancer. Oh, so two girls, same farm and same environment, same genetics. There was definitely a piece of the puzzle that was probably endocrine disrupting chemicals and things that maybe many of your listeners know, maybe they don't is things like pesticides, herbicides, glyphosate, um, chemicals on the farm, many, many of which are endocrine disrupting, which means they act like hormones on the body. So like, for example, for me, I do believe my mother probably, probably our well water had runoff and who knows where else was a source. But I actually believe that my mother probably had in her body, some of the toxic chemicals and then in utero and the year um, that we were, I think medical, no breast cancer 2001, there's a study that came out in Canada and tested the cord blood of baby infants. And they found 200 plus chemicals. Now this is over 20 years old, so it's only getting worse. But at that time, 20 years ago, they found that babies being born into the world were already toxic with certain levels of chemicals. 
And like I said, I think for me, it probably started in utero. If you think about a cancer at 25, those cells started to go rogue and, and bad probably when I was five or 10, like way younger. And so the insults could have been in utero and then in my youth. And of course we played in creeks and we were out in the farm. And, but what I was going to say about my family, because of my sister and I, they have actually gone to 100% non-GMO crops now and partially organic, which I'm so proud of them for kind of yes. changing the way farming Fantastic. is practiced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's uh, inspiring me to uh, investigate a little bit more. I have three children and we are on a farm and in a farm community and we grow our own food, which we can have some level of control yeah. over, but yeah, such a, such great awareness uh, for, for people out there to be mindful of uh, potential toxin exposure. And, and I want to comment too, I've been in Psalm 34 this week and one of my favorite verses out of that psalm is how the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves saves those who are crushed in spirit. And I think that speaks so beautifully to what you were sharing about your perspective on suffering and the opportunity um, for the Lord to draw near to us as we draw near to him and experience him as our comforter in the hard times. So yeah, I love that. And it's so true, right? Mm -hmm. It is. Well, Dr. Jill, I would love to hear more about um, the mold exposure illness that you experienced, um, I believe from a flood in your office building. And I know that mold illness is, is a lesser known condition. So can you shed a little light on what it actually is and how it affected your health and how functional medicine contributed to your recovery from mold illness? Yeah, you bet. So again, I would have, I always joke, I would never choose to treat mold related illness, but God had other plans. <laughs> okay, let's, this is lesson number 34 and we're going to learn about this, right? Um, so what happened is in Boulder 2013, there was this massive flood and sadly, like lately, there's been even more and more floods all over the U.S. And it was called the thousand year flood. And it was literally um, millions, if not even, I think it was almost on a billion dollars of damage and massive, massive flooding. My office had already been, it was an older 1970s building and there had been a little water damage in the basement and um but this flood really caused more issues and later i found my office was on a second floor built over a crawl space that was unfinished with standing water and all these things in hindsight are mold reservoirs and so that right after that flood about a year later i started having really significant fatigue rashes brain fog uh, immune deficiency issues um, and i could go on and on the most common symptoms of mold related illness can masquerade as other things in fact dr dale bredesen who teaches on Alzheimer's and reversing Alzheimer's, um, he he's been quoted as saying one third of young Alzheimer's patients are mold related. So it actually masquerades as Alzheimer's or masquerades as, as cognitive changes, mood disorders, autoimmunity, um, multiple sclerosis. And it isn't that we don't really have these immune processes going on, but mold just happens to be this massive toxic trigger that can take someone into autoimmunity or, or uh, brain dysfunction. So I didn't know any of this, but I knew I wasn't feeling well. And I had uh, recovered from breast cancer Crohn's and went on to be pretty healthy. I moved to Colorado in 2010. So this was three and a half, four years after I moved out here, was doing well until the mold hit. And then I started going downhill and then I had to figure out what was going on. So finally, um, I, I was in a bit of denial because I thought, well, maybe there's something in the environment. I always felt worse at work than home, um, but I didn't really know. And then finally it got bad enough to where I found an inspector. We went down the basement. We found bulk stachybotrys, which is a very toxic yes. black mold. 
And, um, and I did some urine testing, which was very new at that time. And there was like, okay, is this valid or not? What it does is it checks the metabolites of mold in your urine. So clearly if you had an exposure and what happens with exposure is mold can be like behind the wall, you know, maybe kind of stuck in a dark corner, not necessarily that the spores are out in your air, but most mold produce mycotoxins and mycotoxins are VOCs. They're volatile organic compounds that are 2.5 microns or smaller. So about the same size as viruses. So they can go right through the wall. They can go right through materials. They can get into our air. And when we breathe the mycotoxins, um, they can go right through the alveoli into the bloodstream within seconds of breathing that air. So spores typically don't go into our lungs. They're too big. And so you can have spores be an issue, but the spores aren't the really toxic thing. It's the toxins they call it, They're called mycotoxins that are produced by the mold. They get into the air quality that can cause damage. And we have thousands of studies on mycotoxins. It's funny because livestock, like farmers with, um, you know, uh, hogs and, and cattle and different things, they were the ones that originally studied mycotoxins because a lot of the grain supply would be contaminated and then their cattle would start to die or have stomach issues and they'd have to learn, what do we do? about the mold. And so a lot of our early studies came from animals because the farm animals that had contaminated grains would be getting sick and they learned what would happen. Now, of course, we know it can happen to humans too. So backstory for me is I got really, really sick, didn't know what it was, found it, it was mold. And the day I found out the toxins and the, the sample from the basement were the same toxin, like one was stachybotrys and one was the toxin stachy produces. So it was pretty clear it was connected. Um, I left the office and I kind of had to start over. And what we now know is um, some of those mycotoxins that mold produces can um, impermeate um, porous materials, clothing, which you can wash, um, but books and paper are especially porous to those toxins. So I literally left my whole library of medical school books at that office and started over. And um, yes. the next 18 months, yeah, that was hard. <laughs> As I'm sure. I can only <laughs> imagine. I'm a bibliophile. Me too. Me too. I, know I always joke before collection. medicine. I thought I was gonna be a librarian because I love books so much. <laughs> so like books, I love books. So yes, exactly. Um, but then I had to really learn how to get well. And what I learned is um, there's about a quarter of the population that doesn't isn't able to tag these antigens. They're just like any antigen that could be toxic to our bodies, chemicals or a food allergy or whatever else. And for some people like myself, we have a harder time tagging and eliminating those antigens, those toxins from our bodies. So we accumulate them in our tissues and start to get more ill from those effects. And like I was saying earlier, we studied trichosethenes and aflatoxins and ochratoxins, which are all the chemical compounds that mycotoxins produce by mold. And I mean, if you see the range of these and it's all data-driven, there's anything from carcinogenic to liver toxic to nephrotoxic to um, neurotoxic to immune suppressive, you can almost name the issue and they can probably cause that. So they're very, very toxic. And um, in order to get well, which is again, I had to learn to get well myself, you basically have to just support your biotransformation, which is like your liver gallbladder axis and allow your tissues to release these toxins. I call it mobilization. And that can be done like um, infrared sauna. We know that whether it's PCBs or mold toxins or metals or chemicals, a lot of times when we sweat, uh, that brings it out of our tissues and then it get, can get into the bloodstream where the liver or the kidneys can filter it. So you have to mobilize these toxins out of tissues if they've been stored. And again, infrared sauna, Epsom salt baths, 
glutathione or any precursors of glutathione um, will start to move these. And then you have to excrete it. And the main area this happens is liver gallbladder. So your liver takes that blood and filters it phase one, phase two, and spits it out as a water soluble toxin. And it's no longer as toxic into the gallbladder. And then the gallbladder secretes, strips the bile into the small bowel. And this is why binders like clay and charcoal and chlorella and these kinds of things we use will actually, they're bile acid binders. And some of them have an electrostatic charge for certain toxins like metals or um, chemicals or things. And so adding in an inert binder to the protocol can help pull that bile that's contaminated with the toxins out of our system in our stool. And so typically enhancing glutathione um, doing the mobilization so it's infrared sauna or epsilon baths or movement or walking or sweating, all those things start to move the toxins and then supporting the liver with glutathione, liver support um, and binders is kind of how you start to decrease that load. And for me, it's pretty common for patients as well. That process took like 12 to 18 months, just slowly, slowly, steadily. Um, one thing we see nowadays that I had as well, because these toxins are very potent immune triggers. Um, you can see mast cell activation, which is basically this like hives or itching or brain fog or permeability in the gut. And a lot of people have these kind of like uh, immune histamine kind of reactions. And often when they're either exposed to mold or going through the mold detox, the mast cells get more angry. And so they'll be experiencing these reactions or these rashes or this brain fog or a more permeable gut where all of a sudden they're allergic to seven new foods. And those kinds of things all kind of go together because the, the mold is, um, it's a really nasty thing. And whether it's getting a, a, um, in your tissues or getting out of your body, it can be quite a process. Yes. Wow. And they didn't teach us that in medical school, did they? Not at all. I had to learn, <laughs> learn. I'm like, right, exactly. And and sadly, it's something that conventional doctors aren't yet, you know, aware of this, you know, whole phenomenon. I actually was directing a patient to your website today, um, a lovely woman in her 60s who had suffered with eczema as an adult, uh, a new finding for years. And we were trying to dig into the root causes and I finally suggested a, a mycotoxin urine test. Lo and behold, she was quite toxic and uh, a home inspection revealed lots of mold in her crawl space. She came back, she was showing me her skin. It was all clear and um, she had moved out, you know, of her home for 20 years. So it was a quite a, yeah. you know, a traumatic process, just like you experienced with your office building. But um, yeah, it was just so incredible. And she was, I was directing her to the website uh, because she was um, wanting to do a sauna. And I'm like, I know Dr. Jill has a good protocol and has some information there. So uh, yeah, thanks for sharing. You you just have had all the learning lessons with the hard <laughs> diseases, the cancer, autoimmunity, and and mold, um, just uh, all the things that triggered the complex chronic illness that so many of our, our patients and us deal with. So thanks for sharing that, Jill. <laughs> Welcome. Your book title highlights resilience. Can you tell us how you personally cultivated resilience throughout your health challenges and how did faith and functional medicine intertwine in that journey? Yes. Um, and I love that I get to talk about my <laughs> so much. We're talking to some platforms. I'd be a little more careful. And here I'm like, I can't wait to talk to you girls <laughs> because it, it is just the foundation. I mean, literally I have a ring on my ring finger that is a very small little gold band. And this is, this is my commitment to God. Like, this is literally like, I feel like, I mean, whether you call it 
I feel like this may sound weird, but it's my way of just like knowing that is my ultimate love is mm-hmm. I feel like married. My God is my husband. And in the scripture, there is, you know, he is your maker and your husband. And this is my commitment to him above all else, all humans and everything else in my life. And part of that comes, I say that around resilience because I talk about functional medicine, science and faith. And the deal is I grew up uh, again with a very stoic, hardworking German Swiss family. And so I learned to be hardworking and all that stuff. And I learned to be very analytical and uh, even medical school, I did bioengineering undergrad and then med school. So very, very left brain analytical. And then as I've been in this journey of life and God's opened my heart and mind, he's given me a lot more um, openness to the Holy Spirit. And we could in the world call that intuition, but truly it's God's spirit within me. And that's this right brain creative. It doesn't always make sense. And often God speaks in images or sounds or feelings or pictures and not in a X plus Y equals Z, right? Like it's, that's not usually how God's speaking. So when I talk about science and faith or left brain, right brain, to me, they're all kind of ways of integrating. He's given us this great brain, and this is what we're using to help diagnose and treat and help patients. And even solving my problems, I've used a lot of the analytical, the science kind of part, but what God's expanded in me and even the masculine feminine, he created male and female and we're different. And each of us has some of those characteristics. Like if I look back, I was a much more masculine driven, kind of like suppressing the sensitive female nature. Um, and then it, but again, God's like, no, 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 I created you as female. And with your sensitivities, you and I, Cynthia, and like, like the, the these things are actually gifts and not uh, liabilities. And so as we combine all that God has given us, the masculine parts are self, the feminine, the science, which is good. We need that background, but the faith and then the left brain, the right brain to me, they're all like one. And it's like God's perfect, um, how he manifests in our life. And even with, when we're with patients, what I learned is I can look at the labs and make all the data points and all that kind of stuff. But the magic happens when I trust God to guide my spirit and I'm listening and he'll just guide and be like, you know, go in this direction, ask this question. And often it doesn't make sense when we're in God's spirit and we're, when we're in the right brain, we're in, we're in that space. And again, I can parallel to the feminine nature. It's, it's all one, but because God is one, but it's like those pieces actually have given me the most breakthroughs in my own health and the most insight into my patients. And in medical school, we're taught not to trust that, right? We're not tr- to trust faith. We're certainly not to trust the Holy Spirit or intuition, but the bringing this out in the book and even talking now is there is so much power there because as we, instead of thinking that we have to have all the answers and relying on our wisdom and our brains, I think of our brains as the old analog computers where we did like the organ trail in you know, grade school, right? That, yeah, that, remember, that game. remember that? I love it's that. Like it was like, you had to type in things like the dot, like that. I don't even remember how, but like, and now like we have the supercomputer, which is God's spirit within us. That is millions of pieces of data in seconds. If we take our brain aside and we actually trust and again, it, that wisdom comes in a still small voice, which is not usually even verbal words. It's a feeling, it's a sense. It yeah. might be like, you know, those times when you're like, I need to call so-and-so and you text them and say, hey, I'm praying for you. And like, how did you know? You know, like, mm-hmm. but that's God knew in his spirit. And I find every day in clinic when I'm in that place, and I, again, I call it magic, it's not magic, but that's where the magic happens. That's where the, the profound miracles 
happen is when we're in that space of just relying completely on his spirit. And our left brain is always the, the judge. It's always the one to be like, well, you don't know this, or how do you know that? Or where did that come from? Or questioning, right? And that's how you know, it's like, shut up. Let me trust you. <laughs> and, and as I've learned, <laughs> That's where, and, and when you talk about resilience, the most powerful stuff in my own life has been when I believe about what is possible through Jesus Christ and through God's power in my life. And no one will tell me that's possible. No one says it's logical. No one says it's, but I believe in the impossible. I believe in the miracles. And I have seen thousands of miracles in my life because I believe that God's ability to restore health, restore healing, and do the unexpected in our lives is beyond anything we can think or dream or imagine. And he says that in his word, but it's even more important because especially as scientists, as doctors, we get stuck in the world's view of what's possible. And, and the resilience comes in really believing and trusting that God has given us everything we need inside our bodies and with relationships and his spirit that we need to accomplish his work in the world. And I have a little chapter called Believe, Act, Wait. And as I was writing, I couldn't have even told you what my little formula was, but as God revealed it, as I was writing, I was like, oh, this is it over and over. What it is, is you believe. And the belief has to be, not has to be, but it could be in something that seems totally illogical. That's where the faith comes in. And the belief is there. And you're like, God, I believe this is possible. I believe I can heal from breast cancer. And then you act, you do what God has given you to do in the world, whether you give a patient a medicine or an herb or a supplement, or you encourage them, or you call a friend, or you take another course, you act and you do it within the box of what's possible and doable for you. And then you wait and the magic happens when God shows up with all the things that you can't and when your limitations are here and God's like, no, I want to give you this much. And then I just literally over and over, I'm like, wow, God, you are amazing. And now I've seen it enough that that's my definition of resilience is, is believing, acting and waiting and seeing the things that God can accomplish through a willing, faithful person that believes in miracles. Wow. Oh. That so was, good. Yeah. <laughs> it's just amazing how you so eloquently articulated, you know, these same things that has taken me 20 years to come to as well and, and discover. And I love in your book when was it your therapist that said you can be a a badass and a, a delicate sensitive flower. A delicate flower. <laughs> and that's me too. <laughs> so talk about, you know shedding those limiting beliefs. I love it. Um, yeah, just yeah. such rich wisdom that you've shared with us. Dr. Jill, I know I could just keep you here all evening uh, with lots of different topics, but um, we'll go ahead and wrap up. Um, I did want to highlight though, not only are you a superstar functional medicine expert, but you're now an executive producer, film writer, and you're featured in a new documentary about your just health journey. And I would love for you to share a little bit about that. I don't, I don't know about that. What's it called? And when do we get to watch it? <laughs> yeah, so this is a total God thing. You talk about miracles. So um, I had been writing my, my book and I was in the middle of the final editing stages and 2001 came along right in the midst of the pandemic, right? We're all kind of stuck at home. And, and I was just literally praying in my prayer chair where I sit in the mornings, January 1st, 2021. And um, my thought, and this is all God's spirit within me. It was like, wow, you know, people, I think more than ever are on screens. They're watching Netflix. They're stuck at home and they've switched to maybe people still read, but a lot more people are on screens. And I thought, gosh, if I really want to reach the world with a message of hope and inspiration and faith, 
I need to be on screens. And Cindy, I don't have any clue what I'm doing. I have never been <laughs> doing right, but I do have a really big faith and an amazing God. And I was like, well, why not do a documentary? Like, why not? And then I, and here's what God always does. If he puts a, an idea on my heart, I just like start walking forward. It's the believe act and doing the act mm-hmm. part. So I'm like making calls and just like assuming if God wants to do this, you show. And it's funny because this happened way back with the book. I didn't tell you this story, but seven years before I started writing the book, this was 2012. So year almost over a decade ago, I was in a time it was, I was reading the circle maker by Mark. Um, I don't remember the name of the author, but circle maker is the name of the book. And it was all about praying big circles around things that are on big, big dreams that God only God can accomplish. And he put on my heart, write a book. I was just arguing with God. I said, God, who am I? I don't know what I, 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 I can't write a book and I don't know what to say. And what if it never sails? And what if no one reads it? And all that silliness that we get into, mm-hmm. right? And God just like clearly put on my heart. He said, Jill, all you have to do is tell your story. Mm-hmm. I have given you a story and I've healed you for a purpose. And all you have to do is tell your story. He said, I will get you publisher. I will get you. He said, that leave that all to me. And again, it wasn't like a voice it was, but I just knew in my spirit that God was like, all you have to do is do this little part, the act part that I have given you, everything else will be taken care of. And I remember holding that little piece in my heart for, I don't know, five or six years before I started writing. And he is so faithful. He brought a publisher. He brought like all the pieces that I needed. And every time that I would get in my own strength and feel like I'm not enough, right? Mm-hmm. I would just remember, no, God, you promised. I would actually joke all the time. God, you promised to bring the publisher. It's your marketing. It's your reputation. <laughs> like, I'm literally like, hey, God, I'm done my part. You got to market this book. You got to get it out there. And you know what? He's so faithful. And he does it in a way that yeah. we don't expect. And it's way better than we expect, but we, if we have a little box idea of what his possibilities are, he gives us much bigger. And it's not in the timeline we think, because I didn't think it would take me seven, eight years to write and then 10 years to publish. I had no idea. But that backstory is important because when this movie idea came, I was like, God, if this is your idea, you're going to have to show up. <laughs> and within yes. one week, I had producer, director, executive assistant. I had a whole team that was like, we love this idea. Let's do this. And then as they got in the project, they read my book, my draft, which was a draft back then. And like, Jill, we, we have to tell your story. Like, so I was like, well, okay, I, I'll do that. And then, um, and we talked about patience too in the documentary. And then here's the amazing miracle. I said, well, guys, producer, director, they've done this, right? I said, what do you need for a budget? And it was close to a million dollars. So I thought, well, let's write up the budget. And I'm like, well, you know, God, if you want this to happen, we're going to get an investor or whatever. And again, it's better that you don't know anything. You just trust God for amazing. Because like I've talked to all kinds of documentary filmmakers now, like Jill, no one gets a million dollar budget in their first documentary. Right. So, but here's what happened. I'm like two months later on the phone with this beautiful, beautiful investor who actually wanted to buy my clinic. And as we talked and everything, I realized, oh, he's very, very wealthy and he loves functional medicine. And God put in my heart, share the documentary. So I told him about it. And I said, if you'd be interested, you know, he said, I'll fly out in two weeks and let's talk. And within a month, he's like, I would love to be the sole investor. Here's the money for the film. I believe in your project. And within three months of that idea, God gave us the money in whole with one investor to do the filming and do the movie. So again, that's me chills. I love it. Because here I am, like literally that January 1st, I'm like, well, who am I? But well, God, if you want to do it, I'll show up. (laughs) 
And it just shows that believe act way because I did believe it's possible. And I never doubted once that idea came that if God wanted it to happen, he would provide the money. And he did. He laid it right in our laps. Mm -hmm. So then we filmed from that year until the end of 2022. And now we have a full feature documentary um, that I feel like is very impactful. <laughs> it's called Dr. Patient. And if anyone see the trailer, it's at drpatientmovie.com. And you can watch the trailer. And so as far as where it's going, it's in film festivals now. We just were in Manhattan and we're going to be in Richmond uh, soon. <laughs> and, then, um, and in the film festival, it's not really public yet. But as we get a distribution, if you want to know, you can go to that website and, and sign up for when it's going to play in your area. Because our hope is either it'll go straight to streaming um, or it might be in theaters for a, a short period of time. And honestly, this is another God thing. We don't know what will happen, but I know... God will do his part. <laughs> oh, Jill, congratulations. I'm just so thrilled for you. And just what an amazing story to get out there to the world, just to open people's minds to, you know, the whole um, environmental role of toxicity and illness and, and just, you know, the different way of thinking about health that is uh, available to us in integrative holistic functional medicine. So um, I'm thrilled for your mission. And I'm just very grateful of the time that you've spent with us here today. It's just been wonderful to reconnect with you. And one last thing, given our audience is made up of mainly women, um, many of whom are in the field of health, healthcare or ministry, many of us uh, have the intersection of those two things. Uh, do you have any final thoughts you want to share uh, to encourage our listeners, particularly those who may be going through their own health struggles, trying to balance that with all the things, you know, demanding careers and ministries? Um, so just give us your top tips for cultivating resilience. Yeah, so I'm going to share the one thing that has transformed my life the most in health and I grew up in this culture, very um, conservative, fundamental Christian, beautiful culture, like so supportive. My family was so loving. My parents have been married over 50 years and all of my siblings are married with multiple children and all Christians. So amazing, amazing family. But in that culture, there was also something that I had to kind of unlearn. And it was like, deny yourself, put aside yourself, which again is Christ-like, right? But to such an extent, I did that, that I literally, like when I had Crohn's and some of these illnesses, I hated my body for betraying me. Like I actually hated my own self and with autoimmune metaphorically, it's attack of self. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I had to learn was within that Christian culture, like how to love myself as God would see me. And I feel like that's a, such a hard thing in the Christian culture to talk about. And yes, it's so important in a really healthy way. And I now know God wants me to love who he created, which is my own body. Right. And I think it's hard because women were taught to serve and love and give. And that's all so beautiful and so Christ-like. But we have to actually take care of the body God's given us. And we have to actually, number one, trust that spirit within us to tell us when this is too hot, too cold, too much, too wrong food, wrong sleep, like wrong relationships, because we can often like put that aside when we're serving and loving others and we lose touch with the intuition and God's spirit within us that's telling us the way to walk, right? But we can't really love what God has given us in this body unless we trust his spirit within us to guide us. And that peace is what I most want to give to women like myself, because we've been most of us denying ourselves and, and serving everybody else, which again is so lovely and so Christ-like, but we still have to take care of these bodies God has given us. And part of that is trusting that we do know, even as a doctor that I know maybe better than my doctor, what's good for me. 
like what kind of food and what kind of air and what kind of water and what kind of sleep and what kind of inputs and what kind of medicines. And so often we relegate that decision outside of ourselves to the doctor or to uh, someone else, but God has given us that wisdom. And I always just want to encourage women, number one, love yourself as Christ loves you. Like he sees you as perfect. And um, when we're in Christ, like those messages that we're not enough, we're not good enough, that we have to deny our, our own needs like we did in medical school, those yeah. lead to illness. And so kind of re-engaging in that place in a really healthy place that honors Christ is so important because like I said, the culture I grew up in, it maybe the message was there and I just missed it, but I learned to really like hate myself, deny myself in a sense that was super harmful to my body and my physical health. So having that, like it's, it's, it's okay to love what God has created and that's our bodies, right? <laughs> um, so, and it's hard to talk about, I think in some Christian cultures, because we're so yeah. into, you know, yeah. Oh, <laughs> so beautiful, deep wisdom and near and dear to my own heart. I named mm -hmm. my practice caring for the body. <laughs> oh my beautiful. Yes. <laughs> yes. God has me on the same lesson plan yes. of, you know, really just kind of recovering my own health. Um, after the, you know, the harsh training and all the, the programming that we yes. get from the medical system that, you know, we have to deny our, our needs as yes. physicians and healers. So we're on the same lesson plan. Thank you for so beautifully articulating that Jill. You're welcome. I know so many of our listeners are just going to, I think even experience some soul healing from just hearing your story and even being reminded of the importance of believing in what's possible and putting our faith to work and not um, losing sight of dreams and hopes and um, the possibility that only God can, can actually produce in our lives. So that's, um, I often say it's God's super on our natural. We have our natural you know, skills, abilities, and limitations, but he's limitless, you know, and so his super on our natural, we can do a lot <laughs> with that. So, well, this has been such an amazing conversation and Dr. Jill, we want our listeners to know how they can find you and connect with you. Yeah. So my website is just jillcarnahan.com and I've got loads and loads of decades of free blogs and resources and podcasts there. Um, and then social media is a great place where I like to just share stuff too. And I'm on Instagram as just Dr. Jill Carnahan um, there. Okay. Thank you so much. Uh, blessings to you, Dr. Jill. Uh, so appreciate you being here. You're welcome. Such a pleasure to be with you both today. You've been listening to the Joy Prescription Podcast, where we explore the intersection of lifestyle medicine, brain health, and Christianity. We invite you to take your learning deeper with us at thejoyprescription.com. Be sure to sign up for our email newsletter and receive free weekly Joy Prescription devotionals. Bye for now.